Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, European football expert Kevin Hatchard and TalkSport's Alex Crook as Romelu Lukaku outguns the Arsenal. He proved his value already for the squad. He very well linked with Mason and with Kai up front and to give something to the game that we did not have so far. We can play very, very direct into the last line. He can hold the balls and at the same time he's also strong in turning. It's his constant uh, dangerous player with a big personality that helps. Also this week, a hatred of third kits, United's odd team selection, Jack Grealish's thighs and Alex Crook ruffles the feathers of a few famous canaries. All nine of the weekend's games reviewed as we look back on what was a thrilling weekend and some cracking goals as well. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. What a weekend it was with Chelsea going top of the table and Liverpool starting off at Anfield in front of a full crowd with a victory and um, Manchester United dropping points. Alex Crook is alongside us. Uh, have you calmed down? Because when you first spoke to me after the uh, final whistle, you were a little bit irate, a bit sort of sweaty and combustible. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. I was a bit underwhelmed, really, um, hoping for a repeat of the first weekend of the season. It was just a bit of a stodgy performance from Manchester United. I didn't like the team selection. You'll vouch for the fact that I sent you Matic with a shocked emoji and Martial with a shocked emoji and neither of them really did too much to prove me wrong. That was in the friendly group chat, but privately you sent me quite sort of more aggressive messages about the team selection. (laughs) Well, they didn't prove me wrong and I don't understand the change. Mason Greenwood has gone on record and says he wants to be the number nine, played as the number nine against Leeds, scored a goal in a 5-1 win. Why do you then move him back to the right-hand side to accommodate a striker who scored seven goals last season? Kev, did you have a better weekend? Uh, I did. I had a very enjoyable weekend. Uh, Liverpool won, uh, so I was delighted about that. Uh, One of my favourite players absolutely dominated his game, Romelu Lukaku, so that was great. I thought United were a bit one-paced at times. I was a bit disappointed that Jadon Sancho didn't sparkle in the way that I know that he can. I Mm. thought his link-up with Juan Bissaka was... Uh, as they would call it in Germany, a construction site, something to work on because they looked as though they weren't on the same wavelength at what, all. What is that in me. German? Uh, what the actual German for it. Yeah. So what's interesting is that when I translate these uh, articles that I'm always looking at 
uh, with Google Translate, you get these common kind of phrases come out and construction site is one uh, mm. that appears in the tabloids all the time. So it hasn't got like I must a literal get the translation. German. No, no, no. It's just something that appears right. uh, littered across all of these articles. So that's something that uh, a coach needs to work on. And I think that link up, if you look at what Sancho did at Dortmund with Rafael Guerrero and before that Ashraf Hakimi, I think his link up with fullbacks is going to be really important at United. Okay, let's crack on then as we look back at some of the great action uh, with Kevin Hatchard, the European football expert and everyone's favourite transfer guru. As I understand it, they rang Southampton at midnight on the Monday and the deal was pretty much done the next day and announced on Wednesday. (laughs) You've got too much time in your hand. You really have. I suppose we should ask you actually, is there any breaking transfer news you want to tell us about? Uh, no, pretty quiet at this moment in time, apart from uh, Shakiri leaving Liverpool for Leon. I'm sure Kev will be interested in that one. Um, but I think it will ramp up. We're only, what, nine days shy from the window closing and still lots of clubs trying to do lots of business. OK, let's look back at the football then. You are listening to Talk Sport and we are at Anfield. Alexander Arnold, lovely boy to Mane, right-footed body under the goalkeeper, and that should seal all three points for Liverpool. A brilliant executed finish by Sadio Mane. If we are good, the crowd is outstanding, and if you're not good, they try to help us to get better. And today we were good. And it was that man on his home debut, Jack Grealish, the £100 million man. Kind of just ricochets off him and hits his shin, but falls into the back of the net. A huge cheer at the Etihad Stadium. Cooper tees it up for Rafinha! Oh, Rafinha! Goal for Leeds United! Danny Ings on the turn with that wonderful finish. You've got to try and see that again. And that's why we brought him in, because of the quality of goals that he can score. That's two in two for him already. Crystal Palace nil, Brentford nil. The points are shared at Selhurst Park. The best opportunities for both sides came in the first half. The woodwork coming into play twice. Given away by Watford. And here's Mope. Nil Mope. Doubles the lead for Brighton. He's Deli Ali with a spot kick and he sends Jose Sarr the wrong way. And after nine minutes, it's Wolves nil, Spurs one. Dean is getting back to his fitness. We are talking one of the best players in the world. You are lucky. To, we are very, very lucky to have him. Popper got the little toe after being into the penalty area to Greenwood. Greenwood 12 yards out. It's a shot straight at the goalkeeper and it's gone straight through him. Finished here, Southampton one, Manchester United one. I love Chelsea said Romelu Lukaku in the build-up to this game. He loves him even more now, Faker others. He certainly does. It was written, wasn't it? It's Arsenal nil, Chelsea won. Romelu Lukaku has put them in front. He proved his value already for the squad. He very well linked with Mason and with Kai up front. Arsenal nil, Chelsea 2, Romelu Lukaku and James on the score sheet. Arsenal end the day in the relegation zone with more than one game of the season gone. For the first time since August 1992, 
Romelu Lukaku waited 10 years for his first Chelsea goal, but he only had to wait 15 minutes of this game uh, with uh, insipid Arsenal to get off the mark and a display of ultimate centre-forward class skill, movement and power, Kevin, that left Arsenal centre-back Pablo Mari, who looks a little bit like a Hollywood A-lister, flailing like the back end of a pantomime donkey. Yeah, and the thing about Pablo Mari is he's a decent player. I mean, Flamengo had great success with him being the heart of their defence. And when he moved on, they found it difficult to replace him. So he's, he's in theory, not a pushover. But I think everybody's a pushover when it comes to Romelu Lukaku because he's so difficult to deal with physically. But now his movement is so good as well. And what we got in this game against Arsenal was prime Inter Milan, Romelu Lukaku, the guy who can link up, he can drop short, he can spin a defender, he can play the ball wide, and he's a constant threat in the penalty area. And I thought this shows us why I believe Chelsea are title contenders. And they do, to me, look like the best team in England right now. Uh, I think if you look at, the spell since Thomas Tuchel has taken charge. I think they've been the best Premier League team and I think they're probably the strongest team in Europe right now. It's early days though, isn't it, as far as this season is concerned. I thought his hold-up play was excellent. His first touch was brilliant as well. You know, the ball was just getting popped into him. He was popping it back. His link-up player was excellent. Um, wonderful performance. Chelsea, 22 shots. I think Arsenal were pretty lucky that it wasn't four or five, really. Uh, Chelsea were absolutely terrific. Arsenal are now competing in a different sphere, really, to Chelsea, aren't they? Yeah, and I think anyone who was in any doubt about that won't be after watching that 90 minutes. I like Romelu Lukaku's interview afterwards. He was asked, how would you sum up your individual performance? He said, dominant. I think that probably does epitomise it. But again, Mikel Arteta, tactically, we know all about Thomas Tuchel and his use of wing-backs. I just thought they made it easy for, for James to bomb on down that right-hand side. Alonso on the left. I don't know what the game plan was well, from Arsenal. Says Arsenal fans understand what he's trying to do. They can see it. Well, if you can't see it, then you don't want to see it, he says. Well, I have to say, if the callers on Darren Bent's boot room on Sunday are a barometer, then probably only 10% of Arsenal fans can see what Mikel Arteta is trying to do. They're not happy uh, with the transfer business. They believe the players that they've lavished £130 million on are not necessarily value for money but you're right they are competing in a different league now that they're not top four contenders they're probably not Europa League contenders I'm going to be bold I don't think they finish in the top half of the table this season oh that is quite bold isn't it really because even last season when they were terrible for the first half of the campaign they recovered to finish in the top eight I mean Mikel Arteta lost his 20th game in the Premier League as a boss in this match, it was his 60th match in charge of Arsenal in the Premier League. Arsenal Wenger took 116 games to lose that many. Um, can I ask you, Kevin, what your overall assessment of them is? Because he insists he's buying in young players for the future to coach and mould them and to develop them into greater talents later down the line. I just wonder whether or not the fans have still got all that patience because this is a club that's been in transition since about 2006. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and it's progressed at a glacial pace. And I think the big problem they have is that they haven't really moved the needle in terms of changing the club culture because all of the bad habits are still there. We saw that with the rather timid and gutless performance against Brentford on the opening night. They still give away goals they shouldn't be giving away. And there just doesn't really feel like a, a sense of purpose, a sense of belief 
I mean, you can look at it and say, well, they beat Chelsea in that FA Cup final and Frank Lampard's Chelsea were a bit all over the place. It only takes a good coach to get a group of players and really galvanise them. And I guess Arsenal fans could look at that and think a change of coach might change things. But I just think that it used to be that Chelsea against Arsenal was box office, two teams that were more or less on the same level, maybe Chelsea a bit elevated, but generally the same level. But actually now it was what it what it was supposed to be, really, which was Chelsea, a title contender, going to a mid-table team and winning the game comfortably. And how many of the players that Arsenal are signing for big money would Chelsea even deign to consider? I would say none. I think that's a definite point. I mean, there's no way that Chelsea would have signed any of those players. They wouldn't have been in the market for any of them. Um, Arsenal opening up with two defeats and no goals in the league for the first time in their history. That's in their history. At least he's still breaking records, Arteta. 18 <laughs> years. Um, but Romelu Lukaku, seriously impressing. And you're like this, Kevin, because you're a bit like me. You're a bit of a saddo. Um, oh, yes. He posted definitely. a non-penalty XG figure of 1.41 against Arsenal this weekend, uh, which is the highest return of any Premier League player so far this season. And also, he's only ever done that five times in 325 matches. So if you're talking about levels of performance, this is up there with his very top displays. It was a dream debut. He was hungry as well. You could see every time the ball was in and around the penalty area, he was sniffing, hoping for a chance of goal. I think he'll win the golden boot. That isn't a very bold shout, but I I can't see any way he won't. Chris Wood is trying to get beyond the defender. Alexander-Arnold gets hold of the ball, tees it back up to McNeil, drives it left-footed, hits the post, comes back out. But it was a warning for the Liverpool back line not to switch off. Back towards the left now, Simicast with the cross, into the box. It's a great header by Jota. Angling it across the face of the goalkeeper and into the net. And Liverpool lead. Jota, what a header. Clinical, no chance for Pope. Liverpool 1-0. What a great start to the game. The noise inside Anfield is absolutely deafening. Plays it wide brilliantly to Salah, who shoots to the far corner and scores. Left-footed, low across the goalkeeper and in, and Liverpool have a 2-0 lead. That's ah, exactly well, what's VAR, VAR checked it, and now, after lining up to take a centre-circle kick-off, Liverpool have been told that that goal's going to be chalked off, so it's only 1-0. He's still got 98. <laughs> Lowton, who goes past two players, produces a lovely cross, and it's touched in by Barnes, but the offside flag is up. And he tried to give a little bit to the cop behind the goal with a little raised fist. The timing of the forwards has got to be better. Here's uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Lovely boy to Mane. Right-footed volley under the goalkeeper. And that should seal all three points for Liverpool. A brilliant executed finish by Sadio Mane. It's a win that he's greeted with a roar of 50,000 Liverpool fans who have waited over 500 days to allow that joy to escape. It finishes Liverpool 2, Burnley 0. Liverpool 2, Burnley 0. Uh, it was our game day feature kickoff at 12.30. Sadio Mane scoring the second of Liverpool's two goals. Diogo Jota scoring the first. I really enjoyed that first one because of the cross from Simicas, which came in between the two centre-halves and Jota's movement was excellent. His glancing header beyond the goalkeeper. Burnley actually quite started quite well. They wanted a penalty, didn't get one. They hit a pose. They caused Alisson a bit of physical grief, um, forced him into a couple of saves. But the the first goal, as I mentioned, although it was very good movement from Jota, Kevin, no one really gets out to stop the cross. And Ben Mee, I don't think, will be particularly happy either. 
No, well, he had his head in his hands afterwards, didn't he? Because he realised that he hadn't tracked the run, that he'd been led and footed as Jota moved across him. It was a very Jota goal, actually. Always lively, always looking at what the possibilities are. Really pleased for Simicas, had a great pre-season. That cross was terrific. And I think Liverpool need to know that they can give Robertson a rest or if he's injured, they can replace him. And I think Simicas has... He's waited for his chance and when it arrived, he took it. And he looked good for Olympiacos at times in European football. He's really enterprising. And it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about transfers around Liverpool. Have they made enough? Why aren't they going out and buying more players? But Jurgen Klopp, if you look at his time at Dortmund and his time at Liverpool, he's always been a believer in developing your own players. And Harvey Elliott, to me, looks ready to be a regular Premier League player, to really compete for a place in that midfield area. If they can keep Naby Keita fit, I think that's a great option for them in midfield. And Jordan Henderson, back to full fitness, looked absolutely terrific. Yeah, so brilliant. in midfield, they look great. You've got the front three operating well. Jota's there too. I think Liverpool squads looks pretty strong to me. I, I agree with you. And I was talking to Trevor Sinclair about this uh, during the commentary. You know, that midfield area, Fabinho, James Milner, Naby Keita, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, had a child this weekend uh, with the uh, with Perry from Little Mix. Um, Jordan Henderson, Harvey Elliott. I mean, they're well-stocked, well-blessed in that area. Thiago as well. Henderson, as you say, his distribution his control of the game was excellent. But I did feel a little bit sorry for Simicas again because he is the one that they don't mind having a go at. I mean, you saw it in the first game against Norwich. Milner gave him a little slap around the chops. And one or two, I think Van Dijk had a word with him as well. And Jordan Henderson ripped him apart midway through the first half. Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with that. I think that just shows good team spirit. Um, the fact they feel that he can tolerate that kind of... Uh in-game criticism, if you like. Um, but I think he's done well. I, I guess the shame for him is that Robertson was obviously back on the bench. Jurgen Klopp is going to want to get Robertson back in the team as quickly as possible. And I think that'll be bad news for a lot of people's fantasy league sides as well because he's a cheap option, Simakas, but yeah. I don't think he'll be there for much longer. Quick, uh, quick transfer out, I think. But he does uh, also possess the uh, most unimaginative nickname of all time and that he has now been christened Krostas. Simicast. <laughs> I quite like that, though, to be honest. Very good. We, Very don't, good. Mind a, we don't mind a tapping on this podcast. Um, Liverpool have not lost any of Virgil van Dijk's 48 Premier League games at Anfield. You could see why as well. There was one brilliant intervention yeah. towards the latter part of the game. I mean, he's not up to full speed and he's quite happy to admit that. And there was one incident in the first half where, when again, someone got in behind him. But apart from that, I mean, he really was faultless. That could be an issue, though, um, when it comes to next weekend against Chelsea because he's going to be up against Lukaku. We've already talked about what a specimen that he is. So if Van Dijk is a little bit ring rusty in that game, that might just give Chelsea the edge. Liverpool weren't happy about some of the physicality that Burnley showed. Kevin, what was your view on it? Because I think um, I think also Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has talked about the fact that we've gone from one extreme to the other in terms of the way we police the game. Uh, did you see... Anything that unsettled you from Burnley? Because I think it was compared to wrestling by Jurgen Klopp at one stage. No, uh, I think they are what they are, Burnley. They they do tread the line, but I, I think they're physical, they're intense. I thought they played well uh, for, for big spells of the game, actually. And I thought it was only really when Liverpool got the second goal that there was any kind of measure of comfort. 
Uh, I always think Dwight McNeil looks a good player. I do worry about Burnley in the long term. Mm. Uh, as we said on the season preview, I, I just wonder how deep that squad is. Are there enough options? Are they going to score enough goals? They're always going to compete. But if they're giving away goals like the first goal, when Ben Mee just doesn't get it right and they don't react quickly enough and they don't push out to stop the cross, I think that's going to be a big problem for them. They never look like scoring goals as well, do they? I mean, even when they get good chances, they rarely take them and, and that's a real problem for them. They scored 33 goals last season. If you continue to score at that level one under one a game, you're going to find yourself in trouble sooner rather than later. I spoke to Sean Dyche after the game and we talked a little bit about the investment because there hasn't been too much. He says the new owners do want to invest, but it was only he said that only after basically saying that no one's invested in the playing talent for a long time. And he sort of, sort of checked himself to make sure that he was sending the, the right message. But they haven't, have they? I mean, they, they hardly invest in, in, in the talent that they're going to need, I think, because there's a lot of teams down the bottom of that table. I mean, Southampton weren't very well stocked in terms of numbers going into the season, but actually, even they look as if they've got a little bit more about them than Burnley, especially going forward. Yeah, that's the big problem, isn't it? You've mentioned about Burnley's lack of goals last season and they did actually have some chances against Liverpool and and, and didn't take them. Mm. The fact they lined up 1-11, to while it's to be applauded, uh, almost suggests they've only got uh, a minimum number of players (laughs) in in that squad. It's the first time that's happened in 23 years, can you believe it? That's a great stat. But um, listen, as I said earlier, the window is still open. I think they are one of the teams who are in dire need of reinforcements, but... They're not going to be big money signings. They're going to be people like Aaron Lennon on a free transfer, maybe loans from other top-end Premier League clubs. So I think it's going to be a very difficult season for Burnley. Far be it for me to chastise Jurgen Klopp, but I think it is worth pointing out that uh, Burnley record a foul every 9 minutes and 16 seconds. Uh, that was last season's stats. And seven clubs committed more fouls than Burnley over the course of last season. And it's actually 95 games, which is a Premier League record, since they last received a red card. That shows they're quite intelligent in the way that they bring people down. Ta- <laughs> tactical fouls. Uh, Wolves nil, Spurs one Deli Ali with the decisive goal, a penalty. But was it a penalty? He scored his first Premier League goal in 18 months to secure all three points for Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, but you know, A, it was a very one-sided match in that Wolves dominated it. B, notable for Harry Kane's brief cameo. Um, a quick word on that penalty. Did you think it was a penalty, Kevin? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think there's enough there. And, and I think... I've been very impressed just on Deli Ali. Very impressed with his work rate and attitude uh, in in the first in the first couple of games under Nuno. He's, he's, all, he's always been like role. that, Kevin, hasn't he? Ask Jose. Yeah, but I think even more so. I, th- I think it's maybe that the work rate is being used in a more effective way. I think because he's a bit deeper. Uh, he knows he's got that security behind him. Uh, I think. Uh, Spurs should have given away a penalty as well by the way I thought the challenge by Skip was that was probably a penalty for on me on Semedo yeah I thought there was enough there I, I think it's a bit clumsy I would have given that I think um, uh, but I, I thought Ali played well and I, I, I quite like the compactness of Spurs thought they were ever so good against Manchester City after the initial 15 minute spell and I think that it's a really encouraging start Bergfein looks good to me I think he's looked really good on the counter at times, skipping past people and breaking open space. So I think it's definitely something to build on. 
yeah. think they missed a trick, by the way, in that first leg of the Conference League. I know they might turn it around against Passos de Ferreira. They may well do. But I thought to play that inexperienced a team was a bit of a mistake, I thought. Yeah, well, I mean, this performance was more like a Jose Mourinho away performance. A bit like last week was on the counter-attack, soaking up pressure. Um, Wolverhampton Wanderers had more shots than a student at Freshers' Week, but in Adama Traore, they have a player who has almost everything. And when I say almost everything, I mean, he's got almost everything apart from the ability to score a goal. Two goals from his last 50 shots. That's not enough. No, and again, Darren Ambrose always makes the point about Aaron Wambasaka at Manchester United that he should be working harder on the training ground to improve the attacking aspect of his game. We know what a good defender he is, but his numbers going forward are not great. It's the same for Traore. Obviously, he spends a lot of time in the gym. He's got fantastic physicality about him. He's got that pace that takes him past players. But if you can't finish and you can't provide end product, that is a problem. I think he had a little purple patch a couple of seasons ago when he seemed it seemed like the penny was dropping and the numbers were improving. But certainly since last season and into this, he's gone backwards. And it's a big problem because he's a tremendous asset. But at the moment, they're not getting the best out of him. But just to go back to the point that Kev was making um, about Tottenham, I, I agree in some ways that they've made progress. But I also agree with you, Sam. It is a very Jose Mourinho style of play. But that's what you get from Nuno Espirito Santo. His last season at Wolves wasn't particularly attractive football. So I think Tottenham fans are going to have to get used to this. He's 25 now, Adama Traore. Um can you improve significantly at 25? How do you improve your, your end product at that age? Well, Vardy did, didn't he? If you look at Jamie Vardy, where, where was he playing at the age of 25? Yeah, he was playing in a different league, but he was always scoring goals. He's never stopped scoring goals. I yeah. mean, he, he, he's developed in terms of his, the, the quality of opposition that he's faced has, has gone up. But, I mean, this is a guy who, who regularly gets into advanced positions but can't find a cross or a finish. And... That, that really is the game, you know. It's all right being able to run with the ball and being quite sort of eye-catching when you pick it up midway inside your own half, take on three players. But if you don't stick it in the top corner or release the ball when you're supposed to to a player in a better position, then really you're only doing 70% of the job. And the last I think it's 30%, a big problem for him. The last 30% I, I is think, the most important bit. I do think it's a big problem for him. Uh, I think... You know, he's one of those guys that data people love in the sense that they'll look at, you know, dribbles, progressive carries, all of that stuff. And, and look, he makes a tangible impact. He does in terms of making space for others, yeah. tiring people out. Drags but there the does pitch. come a point where you just think, OK, if we're going to have him in the team, that's what we have him in the team for. I, you know, I, I don't doubt that he works on finishing. It would be negligent if he doesn't. I, he must do on the training ground. I'm sure he does. He seems like a dedicated pro, seems like a very nice man. I'm sure he does all of that work. But there does come a point where you think he just hasn't got it in terms of he's not going to bang in, you know, 10 or 15 goals. And you just accept that and have him in the team for all the good things he does do and hope that you have other guys like Jimenez, of course, who will step up and get you the goals. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Southampton 1, Manchester United 1. Um, well, I mean, the first goal has gone down as a Fred own goal, but uh, Shea Adams deserves a lot of credit for it. Uh, Mason Greenwood scoring the equaliser Manchester United failed to live up to their billing really as they dropped two points away from home at Southampton you obviously weren't happy with the team selection you've already mentioned the fact that Anthony Martial was given the role of the number nine ahead of Mason Greenwood and clearly Ole Gunnar Solskjaer decided that that wasn't working for him because within sort of 10 minutes of the second half he called for Jadon Sancho and moved Greenwood through the middle that did have an impact they did get back on on level terms just after, uh, just before they made that switch. But even Sancho, when he came on, didn't particularly set the world alight. No, he looked a bit lost, um, to be honest. But you said that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer realised his mistake. I was commentating the game with Paul Parker and we both realised the mistake when the team sheets were handed in. We couldn't believe that Anthony Martial um, was leading the line and that Matic was into midfield. I know he explained the Matic decision by saying McTominay wasn't quite fully fit. And again, it illustrates the fact United need a proper holding midfielder. He's been carrying an injury though, McTominay, throughout pre-season. Yeah, but they need someone like Eve Basuma, who I watched play and will come onto it for Brighton on Saturday night. Exceptional talent who would improve that Manchester United team no end. Um, As I mentioned at the top of the programme, it was a stodgy performance, the like of which we saw a lot away from home last season. Go behind, come back, uh, rescue some points. And it is a club record at and it is a top flight record equaling result, 27 away games unbeaten, matching what Arsenal did in 2004. But it, it didn't feel like that. It felt very much like two points dropped. Having said that, I'll give Southampton an awful lot of credit. They showed good character uh, because when United got back to 1-1, I think most of us expected they would go on and win the game. But Southampton went again. Livramento could be one of the, the young stars of the season. He was sensational both when he was deployed at right back and when they moved into a more advanced position uh, when Fair Walcott went off at half-time. Adams and Armstrong seemed to be forming a decent partnership, although Armstrong should have scored, but he went through one-on-one. So I think, given the upheaval, Southampton could be really happy with that result. Well, you say he should have scored uh, when he went through one-on-one. Kevin, he should have actually scored a great chance when he was in front of an open goal two yards out and somehow sent it back across the face of goal. I mean, that was the chance to win it right there. Yeah, it was. And Ralph Hasenhuttle talked about that afterwards, didn't he? He felt that they they maybe had more chances than United to win it. Uh, And I thought he telegraphed the finish for the other chance as well that De Gea saved. It was a great save, but you knew what Armstrong was going to do before he hit the shot. What I did love was the flick from him in the build-up to the goal. I thought that was a terrific little touch um, and shows his confidence and shows he feels he's willing to compete at this level. What I'm really interested in is Crookie's reaction to to the United team because... 
we are saying this season, or I'm certainly saying that Manchester United, given the money they've spent on that squad, given the time Solskjaer has had, and we keep hearing about how they're progressing and they're getting better all the time and all of this, they have to be title contenders. Now, you put them up against Chelsea. Yeah. And I feel like there are fewer players in the Chelsea squad that you would put in a starting eleven, and fans of that club would go, oh, no, not him. It shouldn't be him. It should be him. And I feel like there are more of those question marks over United. Mm. So they have some world-class players. Absolutely no question about that. They've signed Varane. I think Sancho will be terrific. It obviously might take a bit of time, but I think he will be. They have Bruno Fernandes, who looks sharp already. Pogba, who's been magnificent for months for club and country. But there are players in that squad that feel like a bit of a drop-off. And Martial is one of those because I just don't get it with him. I just don't think he's at the level of a title contender. And that is a serious problem. And I think it's a problem that they need to rectify, but they won't rectify in this transfer window because there's no chance of them getting a, a big name number nine. I think they'll try and go all in for Erling Brought Holland next summer. Whether that happens or not is a different matter, of course. Tino Livramento, mentioned by Crook, brilliant again, six interceptions, the most in the league by any player since December 2012. When you and I discovered that he was going to Southampton, I said to you he's going to be a, some player. I don't think we, either of us, expected him to make such an impact. His two performances so far, he's probably been one of Southampton's best players. Yeah, and in fairness to, to the powers that be at St Mary's, they were very excited when he signed. I mentioned before, they said he was their most important signing since Virgil van Dijk, which is a massive claim for an 18-year-old who'd never played in the Premier League before, but certainly doesn't lack confidence. He's got bags of ability, he's quick, he's good on the ball, he's got a good tactical brain. So I, I think he will be one of the shining lights. And, you know, maybe Southampton might just surprise some of the doubters. That's that's a definite point in the right direction. Today. OK, so let's talk about what Manchester United need in the middle of the park. Was he on show in the game at the Amex Stadium where Brighton beat Watford by two goals to nil live on TalkSport on Saturday at 5.30? Yves Basuma was absolutely brilliant in that game. Before I ask you whether or not you think he will end up going to Manchester United, let me ask Kevin whether or not you think Yves Basuma will be a better option in the long term than Kamavinga, who's also been linked in that position for Manchester United? Oh, that's a tremendous question, actually. Um, I like both of them a lot. I, I think in the fullness of time, maybe Kamavinga has a higher ceiling, but you're going off... You know, that's a guess. He's still 18, isn't he? He's a very young yeah, player. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been hugely impressed with Kamavinga at Ren. I, I do think there's a there's a huge talent there. But I really like Basuma as well. And I think he is somebody that feels like he has the personality to deal with a big club like Manchester United. He's got power. He's got the desire to go and break up play. He can press. He can make things happen. He can pass well. I, I really like him. I think he's a really good all-round player. Uh, Kamavinga, in, incidentally, is being linked with Paris. So he could be the latest to the uh, <laughs> Harlem Globetrotters. So there's another one. They surely haven't got any room on the, the roster, have they? Oh, they'll make some. They'll make some. They, if they could bring in a, a top young French international that everybody wants, they would absolutely love that. And they've probably still got room in the budget to do that. But yeah, I think if United did turn to Basuma, he'd make a big difference. Don't take mine and Kev's word for it when it comes to Basuma. Tom Cleverley, former Manchester United player, of course, uh, was waxing lyrical to his Watford teammates after that game on Saturday. He said he, he can't remember the last time he came up against a player that good. 
So it should be Basuma then, and he was a big part of the victory that Brighton inflicted on uh, Watford over the weekend. Duffy and Morpai on the score sheet. Um, Brighton comfortably better than Watford in this game, and it's their best ever start to a season. Yep, first time in top flight history they've won both of their first two matches and they were good value, particularly in the first half. Watford started slowly, never really recovered. Terrific header from, from Shane Duffy this time last year. looked like he didn't have a future at the club to get them on their way and that high pressing from Basuma forcing the mistake for the second. Really well taken by Mopay actually, which isn't always the case. Uh, second half, Watford improved. I was largely disappointed with them. I was expecting more from uh, Ishmael Assar and, and Dennis in particular. But Brighton kept them quiet and continued defensively where they left off last season. Really strong at the back, even without Ben White. And what I liked is they've got three centre-backs now who just love the art of defending. Dunk, Duffy and Webster. First and foremost, they want to keep the ball out of their own net. And uh, th- th- maybe that's a bit of a throwback in the modern game. Kev. Crookie says they started slowly, Watford. They managed two touches from the kickoff before giving the ball away. <laughs> what does that tell you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a really strong performance from Brighton, but they were kind of given the license to bring the ball out from the back in the way that they want to. There wasn't enough pressure on the centre-backs. But I think what's interesting about Brighton is the pendulum has swung completely from one end to the other. And what I mean by that is last season, all we talked about was the fact that they made tons of chances and didn't put them away. They were so far below their XG type, uh, you know, level that they should have been mm. at. And I think they've got the first four goals they've scored this season have come from the first seven shots. So remarkable swing and whether that's a correction from last season, we'll see. I still worry about whether they're going to score enough goals, but if they can hang on to Bissouma, who's so important to them in that midfield area, they've got a chance of being comfortably safe, I think, this time around, rather than it being a bit dicey for quite a lot of last season. And we know that um, the transfer guru always likes a bold prediction, but my bold prediction this year is that Brighton finishing the top 10. Yeah, I agree. I said as much on the boot room. Uh, Darren Bent wanted a list of teams that would finish ahead of Arsenal and knock them into the bottom half and, and Brighton <laughs> were one of them. And I do think they will keep Basuma. I think that's too complicated a deal now to get done between now and the end of the window. But it wouldn't surprise me next summer if he was to move on. OK. Uh, more pie scoring twice in two weeks is important for them as well, isn't it? When we talk so much about the fact that they're always underperforming on their expected goals. Yeah, the issue was uh, he went off at half-time with a shoulder problem, didn't come back out for the second yeah. half, and, and Graham Potter wasn't completely sure when I spoke to him how long he could be sidelined for. I know they've got the buffer of an international break, but with Danny Welbeck already injured, uh, Aaron Connolly not good enough for me. That they, they need Mope back as soon as possible. <laughs> whistle's been blown by Darren England and we're off and running at Ellen Road on TalkSport 2 cross to the far post Calvert-Lewin was he being held by Cooper the referee says no he's going to go and have a look I will be amazed if he doesn't give this as a penalty I will be amazed and he's done the VAR sign it is a penalty to Everton Calvert-Lewin waits for the whistle which is blown, steps up and fires it into the bottom corner. Emphatic finish from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Absolutely no chance. Brilliant penalty from Calvert-Lewin. Brilliantly collected by Bamford. Flicks it inside. Matthias Click! Leeds United won! Everton won! Yeah, to be fair, it's no more than Leeds deserve. Damari Gray inside the area. Angles tight. Drives it in! What a goal, Damari Gray! Excellent finish from Damari Gray. His left foot drops to the far post. Cooper tees it up for Rafinha! 
close range, it's only half cleared, and the referee blows the full-time whistle. What a game. Loved every second of it. It's finished. Leeds United 2, Everton 2. Great game. Absolutely brilliant. Thoroughly entertaining. Um, it was end-to-end. Leeds coming back from two deficits. They were 1-0 down, then 2-1 down and still managed to get a point from the game. Rafinha coming up with uh, his customary goal against Everton, as he always seems to do. I think that's three and three against them now. Um, Darren England gave a penalty after consulting the monitor. Uh, Cooper on Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I thought that was a very good use, Kevin, of VAR. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, you know, Cooper was claiming that he was being held initially, uh, but I think it is a foul. Uh, I think he drags him down. And that's how VAR is supposed to work. You know, the, the, the video assistant looks at it, says, look, I think you've missed something. You take another look and then you give the correct decision. And we see that in Germany a lot. They use the monitors really, really well. Uh, and I think that's the correct use of the technology. Uh, I thought this was a terrific game. I think it's really interesting when people talk about Rafa Benitez. I think sometimes they think he's quite defensive. He's always talking about the team shape. He's talking about being compact and what have you. But when his team's are working efficiently and working well, they play some great attacking football. And Mm. I think we've seen that already with Everton. They have some terrific forward players. I'm a big fan of Richarlison. I think he's a terrific footballer who is constantly looking to make things happen. Calvert-Lewin has made a really good start to the season. I find Damari Gray just a, a really curious, fascinating player because he scored a superb goal in this game. Went to buy a Leverkusen in the winter window last season started superbly and then just disappeared off the face of the earth and they just didn't use him in the closing weeks of the season and I felt that was really confusing and I think he just needs to run in a team he needs a coach that believes in him and he needs to find some consistency we talked about Adama Traore not being able to score those goals in volume I wonder if Damari Gray has that same problem with consistency, whether he'll ever be able to be a player that can deliver on a regular basis. Well, like you say, he started off really well uh, at Everton too. They'll be hoping that he remains consistent in doing what seems to be his first job, which is get the ball. And his first thought must be, where's Dom? Because he is crossing the ball into the box looking for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You can see the game plan from Rafa Benitez. He says, look, we're right at the beginning of the process. We've only just started working with these players six or seven weeks. But ultimately, you can already see the patterns that he's trying to develop. Yeah, and I think they already look like a a more cohesive unit, perhaps, than they did under Carlo Ancelotti. So uh, Rafa deserves a lot of credit for that. You predicted, to be fair, Sam, it would be one of the games of the weekend. It has certainly turned out that way. An exquisite goal from Rafinha uh, in particular. Two teams who want to play the right way and and two teams who should be pushing for at least a top half finish this season. First top flight full house at Ellen Road since May 2004. And uh, look, I, I thought they were treated to some, some terrific goals. I think the click goal was a good goal. I thought the Rafinha goal was a belter. Um, and the grey goal was terrific as well. Look, the Dominic Calvert-Lewin penalty was obviously from the spot, so it won't get any headlines. But it was really well taken uh, by the England and Everton forward. And uh, Bielsa believes that more lenient refereeing could benefit his side this season. But they are a team that you know, always keep going right to the very end. But do give opposition chances we spoke last week on the pod about uh, the the plan b the the alternate option but it look as if they're still going to play in the same fashion and if that's the case it could be a roller coaster ride last year 
they probably overcorrected in terms of mm. they were winning more matches than they maybe deserved to. This year, if they go the other way, they could end up the sort of bottom half of the table. It's really difficult because Bielsa is what he is. You know, his philosophy yields incredible football, you know, great goals and, and attacking play, but they are wide open. And against the teams that haven't got the quality to take advantage of those spaces, you can get away with it. But against the big teams, you're always going to find it difficult. And I think they will have a few more hidings like the one that they had uh, against Manchester United. I, I think that's just the way it will go. I can't see Bielsa making massive changes to the way they play. And it puts so much pressure on individual defenders to try and kind of uh, compensate for how open they are. Um, Manchester City beat Norwich by five goals to nil another team that are going to struggle defensively this season they were absolutely abysmal naive uh, Daniel Farker said straight afterwards it was frustrating that we conceded four of the same goals well I'm afraid they've been doing this ever since they've been in the Premier League the first time they were in the Premier League under Daniel Farker the same thing happened their marking is absolutely atrocious and they just look disjointed at the back Grant Hanley couldn't get in the Newcastle team when they were in the Championship and Ben Gibson let's be completely honest apart from a brief call up to the England setup after a couple of good spells uh, with uh, Middlesbrough has never really done it in the Premier League and, and that defensive central pairing I know they've had injuries and I know they've had uh, problems with Covid but ultimately that defence does not look good enough and Manchester City didn't have to be at their very best in order to rip them apart No and that's an ominous sign for Norwich it's interesting you mentioned them because I made some comments on the boot room on Sunday that our friend Brian Gunn has taken issue with I suggested that in some ways Norwich have been cheating the system by coming into the Premier League not really making too much of an attempt to stay there going back down again getting the parachute money coming back up and I think it's going to be the case again Well there's nothing like you to go over the top and uh, you know just (laughs) go to the next extreme but I do agree with you in a certain uh, regard because they have this philosophy at Norwich, Kevin, where they're happy to be what they call a top 26 club, meaning that they're happy to be challenging for promotion from the Championship or in the Premier League. I think that gives the team, the club, the management, the board, psychologically, a get out. Yeah. It's a very German approach, actually. Um, and Stuart Webber. Uh, pays a lot of heed to the German market and the way Germany do things. And, of course, he has a German coach. There, are, I remember when Paderborn came up recently in the Bundesliga a few seasons ago, and they said the same. They said they wanted to be a top 30 club. So they wanted to be, you know, top 12 in the second division or higher. And I think you're right. I think what that does is it does communicate a certain lack of intensity, throughout the club but you know they do want to compete they do want to do well but where I disagree with Crookie slightly is that I do think it's laudable not to want to bankrupt yourselves I think you have to go you go one way or the other Uh, sometimes because they've already done that you know it's, it's not like they've had some sort of like holistic evolution and become this club that has got themselves into the Premier League because of the way they've managed their finances. They went bankrupt the first time and thought, oh, we probably better not do that again. Yeah, and and I think, you know, there is something to be said for learning from your mistakes. However, I think the players they've signed are a concern to me. Mm. So the players they've signed they're, they're, they're preparing already for life in the championship with the signings they've made. But I just think if you look at the guys they've brought in, so there's a couple of guys who I know very well, uh, Josh Sargent and Milot Rashica. Well, they've just gone down with Werder Bremen. 
And Rashica went missing for a big chunk of that season when they went down. And so you're then asking them to show... I mean, Josh Sargent, there's no problem with his work rate. There's no problem with his effort. Seems to be a good teammate. No problem in that regard. But he's just not going to score goals in the Premier League. And so that's a concern. But I think the biggest worry for them... Daniel Farker did this big interview ahead of the new season when he said... I'm not as worried about us defensively because we were much more stable in the championship and I believe we will be a lot stronger defensively in the Premier League. Well, they were hopeless, hopeless against Manchester City. No communication. He's right about conceding the same goal four times. Massive spaces in the in the kind of inside left and inside right channels. And it was feeble, really. Uh, and Tim Krull got no support whatsoever and they do look short of quality. We can't really judge it against Liverpool and Manchester City because they'll smash a lot of teams but they do seem to have a soft centre mm. um, and, and not just the goalkeeper who's now conceded 30 goals in 7 visits to Manchester City with Norwich <laughs> and uh, Newcastle United maybe they should have put Angus Gunn in goal that, that's what they signed him for <laughs> yeah uh, one of the, the uh, things that Brian Gunn has said is that I always talk rubbish like I did when I said that Angus Gunn was up for sale where is he now? Is he still at Southampton or is he warming the Norwich bench? I wonder. He'll come back for you. I'm just about to send it to him. All right. Don't worry about that. Um, a couple of good things for Manchester City. Uh, I thought the Mares, the way he kills the ball from Diaz to score the uh, third, uh, the fifth goal, uh, swiped it beautifully past Krull. Jesus was in terrific form. Man of the match, three assists, could have had four if uh, one of the other goals wasn't chalked off. Um, and Grealish getting his first goal. I mean, look, if you're going to design your first goal for your club on your home debut I mean <laughs> that probably wouldn't be how you would design it but he has got quite sizeable thighs so you might as well use them it was a fine finish in that regard in a way <laughs> <laughs> you know um, I think he'll just be happy to be on the score sheet obviously when you visualise moments in games ahead of playing those games as many of the top athletes do you don't really visualise the ball cannoning off you uh, for your opening goal but I thought he played well I thought he actually played quite well against Tottenham actually uh, you know always trying to make something happen always trying to run at Spurs but they just played very well on the day I thought Gabriel Jesus was really interesting and I think the general direction of travel with him is that Pep's talking about him more as a winger. Uh, and I think we're going to see him in wide areas more and more and more. Whereas Ferran Torres, who came primarily as a winger who could play through the middle, I think you're actually going to see Torres play more as a yeah. nine and Gabriel Jesus as a wide player. And I think Jesus has got that capability. He's done it in the Champions League. I remember him catching Real Madrid off guard by playing in that position. Think of the Bernabeu. So, you know, he's that got that That was a that terrific ability. performance, that was. I remember doing yeah. that game. It was yeah. in the Champions League quarterfinals. It was absolutely superb. Uh, or was it last 16? Either way, it was a brilliant performance. Um, of course, Ferran Torres is only going to play as the nine or force nine until Harry Kane turns up uh, after that. He'll have to think about doing something else. Um, Aston Villa against Newcastle. Aston Villa beat Newcastle by two goals to nil. Has Brian Gunn come back to you yet? I'm just blocking him, actually. Are you? All right, okay. <laughs> we'll follow this I, I never thought I would have to block a, a Premier League goalkeeper, a former Premier League goalkeeper. Was he... Premier he was League? used to doing all the blocking when he played, wasn't he? First division, wasn't he? No, no, he played in that Norwich side that finished third in oh, the first yeah. season of the Premier League. That was a long time. Back when they used to be ambitious and try and win games in the top flight. Stop it. Don't carry on your feuds. <laughs> this is going to be a nightmare. Crook. Don't, don't drag crook. us into it. By the way, Brian, 
thought you were a terrific goalkeeper. And um, it, this feud that you have with Crook is nothing to do with me and Kevin. We love you. Um, even if These tall men Norwich, always fighting each other is terrible. A bit of a disappointment. Aston Villa 2, Newcastle 0. Uh, El Ghazi took the penalty, which really upset me because I had Danny Ings in my fantasy team and I thought he was going to get a second <laughs> you penalty. You and me both. I was so irritated by that. top scorer. And then I was oh no. Then I looked at El Ghazi's penalty record, 6 out of 6, so therefore you thought you can't really argue uh, with that. Uh, but it was a comfortable win, wasn't it, really? Um, but I was a little bit uncomfortable with Newcastle's black kit. I liked it. I thought that was okay. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, not I tell, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I'll tell you why I'm not having it. Right? Black kits are for referees for a start. Secondly, why do you need to have a third kit? And if you have going to wear a third kit, why do they have to wear it against Aston Villa? There was no need for them to wear their away kit. They could have just wore their home kit. And the same thing down at um, uh, where was I? I was watching another game uh, at Burnley. What, why did they have to wear their white away kit when they played Liverpool last year? They didn't. I don't think that was the most alarming thing for me about the Newcastle performance. It was the miss from Callum Wilson, uh, which again cost me fantasy points and was actually a, a big game changer. And the fact that Steve Bruce reverted a type a bit. It was a very defensive approach and Newcastle fans not happy. Two defeats out of two already looks like a long season. I actually thought the kit was one of the positives to come out of the afternoon. To be fair, I was just trying to stop giving... Steve Bruce and Newcastle so much stick uh, the penalty Lascelles very close to him but his arms out to his left hand side he's got no choice on that um, yeah. and I do also think that Aston Villa have really benefited from this set piece coach that they've employed I know they've had a bit of a change up in terms of the coaching staff and I think you can see that I know that last week he was absolutely furious with the way that they played this week I think a lot happier even though it wasn't perfect but it was from one of those set pieces that Danny Ings scores Arguably, what is already a goal of the season contender, Kevin? Yeah, and it was a it was a long throw, wasn't it? And it, it's really interesting because that seems to have made a bit of a comeback uh, in the early part of this season. So, in Germany, for example, Wolfsburg have scored a winning goal on match day one and two, both games that I've done, uh, where they've scored from a long throw, effectively. And this was the same. And the, the way he finds space, Danny Ings, is the key to the whole thing. He's so clever at that. He just has a look round. He's always on his toes, takes a step back, gets himself a pocket of space. And as soon as that drops to him, perfectly executed bicycle kick, gets the velocity on the ball. It's not a shank or a scuff. He hits it so sweetly. It's a lovely, lovely goal. I felt that he was great each way bet to be top scorer at the start of the season. And I still believe that. I think he will get lots and lots of goals in an attack-minded Villa team. I still think they've got gears they can go up, but they were comfortably good enough over the 90 minutes. But I agree with Crookie. I think if Callum Wilson scores that goal, totally different game. At least the third kit had a badge on it. I mean that that was important. Yes, some of them. Oh, haven't. don't get me started on that. We haven't got long enough for me to get yeah. started on that. That was that was that was <laughs> terrible, wasn't it? The Fenerbahce kit that hasn't got a badge. The Manchester City oh. third kit that hasn't got a badge. Oh, that's awful the word as well. Man City on the. But they're all the same. They're all the it's same. About ten it's just different like, kits yeah, that are all like the same. It's like a factory of of bad kits. The Tottenham kit wasn't great either. Away at Wolves, was it? It looked like uh, my twenty month old had just got a paints out and just chucked it over the shirt. Yeah, apparently it's really popular. It's one of the fastest selling shirts this year. What do oh, I know? It's modern art, Alex. Modern <laughs> art. I think it's rubbish, but you know. 
I don't have to wear it. Um, Crystal Palace against Brentford finished nil-nil. I've got absolutely nothing to say about this. It's going to be a long season for Crystal Palace, isn't it? Yeah, because they've got the same problem and we've mentioned this before that, that they don't score any goals and they're too reliant on Wilfred Zaha. As far as I know, there are no plans to recruit a striker. I think they're trying to get Will Hughes doesn't really add that. They've got loads of midfielders. Exactly. They don't need midfielders. They need a focal point. Doesn't really add what they need. Yeah. I think Brentford are unlucky not to win the game. Ivan Tony missed a couple of opportunities. You spoke to him he on Sunday night. Away. What did he say about that? He said that uh, he, people needed to be patient. And I said, well, not too patient, Ivan, because you're in my fantasy team. And he promised he'd score at Aston Villa next weekend. I think he will get goals. The, the good thing is that he's missed two chances. It suggests that Brentford are already creating opportunities in the top flight. I think they found the step up relatively seamless so far. They're not considered a goal yet as well, which is really good, isn't it, Kevin? Because that's the bedrock to which will keep you in the Premier League, actually. He's, he's not conceding loads of goals. Yeah, I, th- I do think they gave up a couple of big chances. Conor Gallagher hit the frame of the goal, um, just had a poor touch that took him a bit wide uh, and that made the chance a lot more difficult. I thought Christian Benteke should have done better with his headed chance. He put that over the top and you'd expect him to do better. So they weren't perfect, but yeah, you can't argue with two clean sheets. And they, they ended the championship season, didn't they, uh, by keeping clean sheets? Because if you look at their overall defensive record, I think it was the worst in the top four. So, uh, you know, I, I think it is going to be very, very important for them to, to stay compact and, and keep teams at arm's length. But they're not going to face many teams like Palace who just have that paucity of options in attack. What are you doing this week, Crook? A uh, relatively quiet one this week. I'm at Brighton Everton next Saturday. I'm entertaining you on uh, on Tuesday night, so we shall enjoy that. Okay. And Kevin, what are you doing? Uh, I am on uh, Borussia Dortmund against Hoffenheim on Friday night, so that will be very, very exciting indeed. I'm quite um, excited about my trip to the Hawthorns on Wednesday because Valerian Ishmael, going back to long throws into the box, has got Darnell Furlong flinging them into uh, penalty boxes up and down the land. And they've scored so many goals from set pieces already. And they have an EFL Cup game on Wednesday night, live on TalkSport, against... Against Arsenal. And uh, imagine if they were to crash out of that competition as well. It's a spicy one. Their only chance of winning a trophy this year. It's a spicy (laughs) one. Looking forward to that. Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. Kevin Hatchard, European football expert and uh, all-round Liverpool fan. And Alex Crook, thank you very much to you as well, transfer guru. Thank you very much. Good fun. You did the deal on Monday. You're taking me out on Tuesday. By Wednesday, you'll be on the golf course. And then on Thursday, Friday and Saturday... We'll let the listeners finish that one, shall we? Right, OK. Uh, we're back together on uh, Thursday evening to preview all the weekend's Premier League action, including an absolutely massive game on Saturday night, which is live on TalkSport, between Liverpool and Chelsea. Make sure you rate and review the podcast, and please tell your friends all about us. This is the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 